This is Cindy Bowen teaching on the topic, The Kingdom, at Rodney Pike Church of God. This is session two of lesson one. We've been looking at the verse of Matthew chapter 44 when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven and he tells his disciples, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid and for joy over it, he goes, sells all that he has and buys the field. Uh, the kingdom of heaven, the relationship between God and the Christian, the give and take, the engaging and being engaged, that's treasure. That's so valuable. Uh, it, it is the thing that is most precious and it is hidden. It's obstructed, uh, uh, concealed from the eyes of the casual observer. And if you know the Lord, you know that is true of the relationship with the Lord that if all uh, your relationship with the Lord is what's done in the church service or what's done out where people can see it and you don't have a private prayer life and you don't have a private devotion life, it's going to be a very shallow, shallow walk indeed. No, the deep treasure is hidden and it's expensive. It costs the man in our parable everything to have that treasure in the field. But instead of mourning over what was lost, this exchange is attended by joy. This is an all-in lifestyle. And I'm pretty sure I don't have to work very hard to convince you that the Lord is a treasure. And that your relationship with Him in your day-to-day -day life has value beyond measurement. I don't want a day without Jesus. A day without Jesus uh, is a day I, I never want to, to see. Um, the psalmist said in six, Psalm 68, 19, Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. It's not just the, the joy of having a relationship with God, but God just lavishes the benefits of our salvation on us. Uh, and, and what kind of value is your relationship with God to you? I think it's a value that we're not going to be able to measure. Psalms 103, starting in verse 2, says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not one of all of his benefits, who forgives every one of your iniquities, who heals each one of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and corruption, who beautifies, dignifies, and crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercy, who satisfies your mouth with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And, and, and if you look at that, that's a whole lot of benefits we get from our salvation relationship. And, and I'm sure you can find many more than this, but the psalmist lists that he forgives our iniquities. We get to have a guilt-free life because the kingdom of heaven has come into our life that we have a relationship with God through the blood of Jesus. Our sins are forgiven, a guilt-free life. He heals our diseases. We have a whole unobstructive life. We can live life to its fullest because of Jesus. He redeems our lives from the pit and corruption. We get to live with heaven in view. 
You know, what I've found in my life is that depression and darkness and being uh, so caught up in the daily grind can be a pit that drains the joy out of our lives. But with Jesus, we get to live with heaven in view. The psalmist says he beautifies, dignifies, and crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercy. We get a life of the Isaiah 61 anointing of Jesus where we have beauty for ashes and the oil of joy instead of mourning. We get the mercies of God and not the judgment. Jesus took the judgment so that we could have the mercy. Verse 5 of that, uh, that passage says that he satisfies our mouth. And the Amplified goes on to say, he satisfies our necessity and our desires at whatever age and situation we find ourselves in. He satisfies us with good so that our youth renewed is like the eagles. It's strong, soaring, and overcoming. Because of the kingdom of heaven at work in your life, because of the kingdom of heaven at work in our souls, that relationship with God through the blood of Jesus mediated by the Holy Spirit, we get to live a life that God tends. Provision is made for our life. We have an overcoming life. It reminds me of what Jesus said in John 10 and 10. I have come that they may have life. And have it more abundantly. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus gives us life. And if I could step back away from all that benefits we get from Jesus. And stripped all the way away all that the Lord does for us. And uh, uh, of course we can't do that. We can't out. We can't escape the goodness and the blessings of God. But if we stripped all of that away. Isn't Jesus just a wonder by himself? That God the Son would lay aside heaven, the courts of singing angels and glory, to walk on the dirt of the planet earth. And he did it to win our hearts, to win your heart and mine, to purchase our freedom so that we could be with him, to make us acceptable to the Father. Isaiah said, his name shall be called Wonderful. But can I add something there? His name shall be called Wonderful. Jesus is wonderful. He is a treasure that we cannot uh, afford to not sell all out and go after. We must have our treasure in the field. My Bible tells me that God's beautiful. He is beautiful beyond words. Ezekiel says he looks like a fire from his waist down and fire enclosed in amber from his waist up. John says he's like a jasper sardius stones, like brilliant blazing jewel stones to look upon. And Jesus stands in the presence of the living God with his eyes blazing like fire and his feet like brass burnished in a furnace. He's the high priest and he is beautiful. He's beautiful in his appearance. But he's beautiful in his character. Our God is faithful and merciful. He is absolute holiness and he's just. He's kind, but make no mistake about it. He is king. He is just, 
but he is judge. He is merciful, but he is master. And there is no contradiction in that. There's no contradiction in him. He is beautiful. He is the treasure worth more than anything else in my life. He's treasure hidden. The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 45, 15, Truly, you are a God who hides himself, O God of Israel, the Savior. But I don't think I would do the scripture any injustice if I added my own little uh, but at the end of that. Uh, truly, you're a God who hides himself, O God of Israel, the Savior. But truly, you are a God who reveals himself to those who would seek him. You see, God hides in plain view. Those who do not look for him will live like there's no God enthroned in heaven. They'll reason away those obvious signs of his handiwork. That clockwork precision of the universe. The beauty of creation. His divine signature in our very DNA. The minute details of poetry and nature. Uh, right now we're in the fall season uh, here where I live. And, and the trees are turning different colors. Uh, I drive down the road and I see reds and browns and uh, oranges and yellows. But in my own front yard, there's a maple that turns the color of sunshine in the fall. I can't help but see God's handiwork in that beauty. But the people who live like there is no God are blind to the beauty, majesty, and wonder of the living God. They just see a tree. They just see the sky. They just see the stars. And they try to reason away that there was a creator who made them. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2 and 14, then natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You see, you can't get to God without God's help. It takes God for man to acknowledge and understand and see God. God hides himself, but he will reveal himself to those who will seek him. If you remember that story about Moses, he was out on the backside of the desert and he encounters God at a burning bush. And the reason he can encounter God at a burning bush is that God comes down and burns like a fire in a bush until he gets Moses' attention. Jacob encounters God at Bethel because God waited until Jacob lay his head on a rock and fell asleep. And then he revealed himself as one standing above him by a ladder that reached from the heavens to the earth. God had come for Jacob. Uh, David said in Psalms 27 and 8, When you said, Seek my face, my heart responded to you. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Only God can reveal God to the human heart. Eric uh, Gilmore uh, recently released a post that said, if we see iron rising against its own nature, you can be sure there must be a magnet pulling it. Let me say that again. If we see iron against its own nature rising, you must be sure there is a magnet pulling it. 
So if a, if a man is seeking God, you can be sure that God is on the other end, pulling him close by the magnetism of his person. God is coming after the man so the man can seek God. So we have our treasure hidden in the field. To call God our treasure means that we've considered him of the greatest value. He is of supreme value. We won't chase God if we don't value God. Value that we assign drives desire. We're not going to desire anything that we don't consider valuable. Desire propels our pursuit. We're not going to pursue something we don't really want. And pursuit will determine direction. I want to say that one more time. Value drives desire. Desire propels pursuit. And pursuit will determine direction. Church, we cannot float in the lazy river and somehow think we're going to drift into a deep and satisfying relationship with God. A a dear brother in the church used to say, the anointing breaks the yoke, but distraction, distraction will break the anointing. I find that life is kind of like a conveyor belt at the at the grocery store. Except it's going in the wrong direction. It's going the direction I don't want it to go. Unless I'm very intentional in going after God and putting myself in a prayer closet to pray, even when I feel like sitting in a recliner, if I'm not intentional about reading my Bible when I would have liked to have slept in a few more minutes, if not, if I'm not intentional about going to church when there's other things I could be doing with my time, if I am not intentional on those things, uh, I will be going the wrong direction. Life is the conveyor belt taking me away from God. Life is busy. The demands of my time are far more than I can meet sometimes. And if I do not make the pursuit of God a priority in my life, then I will be swept away in the lazy river and I'll never get to the deeper places of relationship with God. I must be intentional if I'm going to buy the field. In our parable, the man who found the treasure sells all that he has in order to buy it. We just can't give God the leftovers of our life of the leftover time, the leftover energy that we have and have this field with the treasure in it. It's going to cost us everything. In Mark chapter 8, the Apostle Apostle Peter has just come uh, from the place of deep revelation from Holy Spirit. Jesus is with his disciples and he says, Who do men say that I am? And they're quick to, to chime in that, Some think you're uh, John the Baptist. Some think you're Elijah. Some think you're this prophet or that prophet. And, And Jesus stops and says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter quietly answers, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus, Jesus congratulates him. Peter, you're blessed. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but it was my Father who is in heaven who has revealed such a thing to you. And and when you read that chapter in Mark chapter 8, three verses later, Jesus has just said, okay, now you know I'm Messiah. I'm going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to kill me. I'm going to die, but I'll raise raise again on the third day. I'll be alive again. And, 
And, and Peter just hears that they're going to crucify me. And he, Peter, the same one who says, you're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God, takes Jesus by the hand and starts rebuking Jesus. He starts telling Jesus, this must never happen. Far be it from you. Don't let this happen, Jesus. And, 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 and you know, I got to love Peter. I got to love Peter. Because he, he just didn't get it. And I would be that kind of person trying to uh, trying to make sure everything stayed on the status quo and stayed on the, the, the sunny path and everything was easy. Uh, but Jesus says, oh no. And he turns around and he says, get behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. You didn't get it. You had a revelation, a partial revelation of who I am. But you do not have the revelation of God's purposes. And then he speaks in Mark 8 and 34. When he, Jesus, had called the people to himself with his disciples also. He said to them, whosoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. And whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous, sinful generation of him, the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and the angels. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. And there's no circumstances where that can sound like a comfortable thing. There's no circumstances where that seems like the easy road. It doesn't have, there's no recliners or easy chairs on the road to the cross. In other words, Jesus is saying, buy the field. If you're going to come with me, you're going to have to buy the field. It's an all-in lifestyle. And that's the word that the Lord is putting his finger on in the church today. Go all in. Buy the field. It will cost you everything. But the treasure hidden there is worth the price you'll pay. You may already know this. I'm sure you do. But I just want to put it in here. The early church fathers and disciples, according to tradition, did not have an easy road to go. Matthew was martyred in Ethiopia by a sword. Mark died in Alexandria, Egypt by being dragged by horses through the streets until he was dead. Peter was crucified upside down. James was beheaded by the King Herod. Nathaniel was flayed to death with a whip in Armenia. Andrew was whipped in Greece and tied to a cross. But he preached to his executioners for two days before dying. Jude was killed with arrows rather than deny Jesus. Matthias was stoned and then he was beheaded. Paul was imprisoned, beaten, and finally beheaded in Rome. They were all in and it cost them everything to follow Jesus. Does that mean you're going to have to be killed for Jesus? I hope not. <laughs> Only if it came down to that. But what I can guarantee you is this. We have to value the Lord so much that what he thinks of us is weightier than what the people around us think. 
He has to be more valuable than the comfort and convenience. For me, it's my recliner. Uh, several years ago, uh, I was sitting down in my recliner after a hard day of work. And I thought, I'm just going to stay home. It was dark outside. It was cold. It was a Wednesday night. But I thought, I'm, my recliner soft. And I'm just going to sit here. And I heard Holy Spirit say to me, you can have that recliner if that's really what you want. No, sir, that's not what I wanted. I got up and got ready for church. I don't want that. I want Jesus. I know that sometimes life happens and we can't get to our church house. But if ball games and picnics are enough to take us away from Jesus, enough to take us away from the house, enough to take us away from the gathering of the saints, we might need to check ourselves. We might need to check how often are we making it into the house of God? How often are we praying? And I don't mean a now lay me down to sleep prayer at night or a God bless my food prayer at the dinner table. How often are we ministering to God in the place of prayer? We have to check ourselves. And I certainly don't want this to be a downer tonight. But you about have to be blind and deaf to realize that the culture around us has done a hard shift away from the gospel and the conservative values of the Bible. Biblical values and mores are being mocked. Legislation is being passed that's just downright sin. And I am praying and I am believing that America will be saved. No one to ask you to pray that with me, that America be saved. White House to courthouse and the houses of Congress, everyone saved and filled with the breath of God. But until the Lord answers that prayer, serving Jesus may well come at a price in our country. We may still have to sell all for this field. And that's kind of heavy. Uh, but but I want to visit that parable one more time because there's, there's another part to it. This doesn't end in woe is me and everything's bad. Matthew chapter 13 verse 44 again. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid. And for joy, for joy, for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. We may have to sell all that we have to have that field, but there is so much joy in having the treasure. Psalm 16 and 11 the psalmist says, you will show me the path of life and in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The presence of God is the epicenter of joy for the entire universe. And that's the place where the kingdom of heaven originates. That's our treasure in the field. Can I give you another scripture? Psalms 25, 14. I'm reading out of the Amplified. The secret of the sweet, satisfying companionship of God have they who fear, revere, and worship Him. He will show them His covenant and reveal to them its deep inner meaning. There's treasure in this field. Can I give you one more? How about John 17 and 3? This is eternal life. It means to know, perceive, recognize, become acquainted with, and understand you, the only true and real God, and likewise know Him, Jesus, 
as Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah whom you have sent. Getting to know God, that's your treasure in the field.